0: Everybody, and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. And uh, so, how many of you have heard of a guy called Onisimus? And uh, yeah, yeah. so uh, if, if, yeah. And uh, Onesimus comes from a book in the Bible, um, a very small book in the Bible in the New Testament, uh, a book that's easily missed, um, and uh, probably more easily missed these days, because most people are now reading their Bibles on their phones or their iPads. And what that means is that you don't flip through the pages. And you 're not you know when you had a Bible, you would flip through and you'd see stuff, but on a computer, you just go to what you want to read and you don 't see anything else. Uh, one of the things about having a, a real Bible is that you would get a it, it's not like we real read real bibles i 've actually got one upstairs um, we got one upstairs in my in my office, which I really like and it's a, it's um it's it's huge and it's got big bold print for blind people which i like (laughs) i can read it and there's something amazing about the bigger the print the more easy it is to understand isn't it you read it and you go wow it's amazing revelation you put it it takes more thought power to read smaller print and um it's uh, (laughs) you're in a bold print read the bible in bold print you'll understand it more easily Honestly, there's revelation for you right there and uh, so this book this uh, Onesimus comes from this um, from this little book um, called Philemon or if you come from Glasgow Philemon is uh, Philemon is, is uh, he was actually um, considered to be a glaswegian brute and he was named as Philemon. and uh, and uh, Philemon. i'm going to Philemon. and uh, <laughs> I (laughs) I knew he'd get through to you in the end. And he went round filling them in. in. And and so Philemon was actually a a wealthy Christian. And because he was wealthy, he he was a slave owner. And he owned this slave, but he wasn't just a slave owner. He was a he was a convert to Paul's ministry. He was Paul called him one of his sons, someone who had come to the Lord, and and Paul had taken personal care to to disciple him and raise him up. And so Philemon had this slave uh, called an Onesimus, and Onesimus actually that wasn't his name uh, to begin with. We don't know what his name was. Um, Paul um, changes his name, and uh, which has happened a lot, and um, so. But this guy, um, he runs away, and he runs to Paul. Now we're going to pick up the uh, story in uh, Philemon, um, and there's only one chapter, and it's in verse eight. Paul is writing to Philemon uh, to tell him that the slave's coming home, um, and uh, this guy he's he's coming home, and he. This is uh, Paul's instructions to this man and he says therefore though i might be very bold in christ to command you what is fitting yet for love's sake i rather appeal to you being such a one as paul the aged he's putting on the pressure right there isn't he and uh, and now also a prisoner of jesus christ i appeal uh, to you for my son onesimus whom i have begotten while in my chains who once was unprofitable to you but is now profitable to you and to me i'm sending him back you therefore receive him that is my own heart whom i wish to keep with me that I that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel but without your consent i wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion as it were but voluntary for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever no longer as a slave but more than a slave a beloved brother especially to me but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the lord if you then count me as a partner receive him as you would me but if he has wronged you or owes you anything put that on my account I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay you. Not to mention to you that you owe me even (laughs) your own self besides. He had a way with words, didn't he? I will pay you. Not to mention how much you owe me. (laughs) It's really turning on the guilt right there. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you would do even more than I say and we 'll leave it there and so this is this a uh, fascinating story um, about this character, Onesimus, that was a slave, and it 's generally considered that in the background of the story, and there 's a lot of historical notes about Onesimus. Um, from in the church world and also in historians that he was a slave that ran away um, from Philemon probably for some theft or some misdeed. Now, it's generally considered that all slaves stole uh, it was considered that the, everything they stole, they stole just because they wanted to live. They they wanted just a little bit more, and they generally got away with it. It would be a bit of a bit of a slap if you got caught, but if it was something wrong, something major, then more serious punishment ensued. Well, Onesimus is um, in trouble. Has caused some. Crime, something upon which he's caused Philemon to have a cost, something upon which he owes him, and he's decided to run away. Now, he's not a Christian. Um, He he doesn't believe in in God, but he's a smart guy, and he's decided, what can I do to get away with this crime? How do I get away with it? You know what? I think in life, when we make mistakes, that is the first thing we think. How do we get away with it? It's the first angle we come up with, isn't it? How do I get away with what I have done? Is there a way out of this? You see the camera flash on the main road and you think, how do I get away with this? <laughs> is there an angle? And so there are, there are many things in life when we, we try and get away with stuff and Onesimus, is just, he's just working the angles and he turns up and he, he goes to the one man. Philemon's a powerful, rich man. Who do you go to? He, you go to the man that Philemon respects and honours over him, smart guy. If I, if he can persuade effectively his father or boss, if you would like to call it that, a man who has influence over Philemon's life, if you can, if you can win his heart, you're safe. You've gotten away with it. And so he goes to to Paul, who happens to be in prison, or. Actually, in reality, his prison was really kind of like a, a house arrest. He had guests people would come and stay with him and he, he basically couldn 't leave, but he had, he could he had a, a life with great influence in that setting and so he runs to paul and now Paul has got a problem he 's got a slave who 's run away who belongs to a man upon which Paul loves dearly and has a very close relationship with. But is in another place. And this man has now run to Paul, and now Paul has got to do something with this man. He has this man who is a slave who owes Philemon, his spiritual son, money. He's caused and now Paul has got a problem. What does he do? Does he does he send him back? Does he have him arrested? What does he what does he do with this vagrant, this runaway, this this person who's, who's looking to get away with something and is trying to manipulate Paul into trying to sort of pull the, 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 the loving man who's preached about love and grace and forgiveness, and, and surely if he can work that angle, he can get away with this. And you know, the amazing thing about Onesimus is that in this story, we, we discover someone, and in fact, historically, we discover someone who goes from the point of absolute hopeless uselessness into one of the most effective and powerful ministers in the gospel at that time. And he he travels, he traverses this incredible mountain and he does so because he just simply tries to get away with a crime, an event, and a mistake that he committed in his life. And you know what? I want you to understand that that in your journey of your life you we find ourselves trying to run away trying to get away with stuff but if you're going to God and you're trying to get away with stuff God will help you to deal with it but it won't be as you anticipated he will lead you through and it will bring a resolution but it won't be as you anticipated and this is what he didn't anticipate he didn't anticipate getting saved he didn't anticipate coming to the point where he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And Paul says to Onesimus, uh, to Philemon, he says, I give you Onesimus whom I have begotten. In other words, he comes to this point where Onesimus he leads Onesimus to the Lord and he brings him to this place where this useless man suddenly gives his heart to the Lord and he he doesn't he doesn't just lead him to the, to the Lord. It says, I have begotten him. Now there is a difference. You know, and I think in church, we are often, we just want people to give their hearts to the Lord. But Paul didn't lead people to the Lord. Paul gave birth to them. <laughs> he begot them. They were begotten. It says in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That begotten is a very powerful word because it's someone whom he has raised, someone who came from him. God the Father gave Jesus Christ His begotten Son, and Paul says of Philemon, "I begot you," and of Onesimus, "I begot him too." In other words, when Paul raised up Onesimus, he didn't just lead him to the Lord. What he did was he put his life into him. Yeah. He didn't. He he took a hold of a vagrant and he put his life into him. He took a hold of someone who was hopeless and useless and he put his life into him. I remember when we had a, a rehab, we have people come through and you know, it's interesting when you meet people and the history they bring with them has a huge impact on where they are and what they can do. This is a fact, right? If someone is raised in a... In a Strong family place with strong values, regardless of how much they rebel, it is quite easy and I say that carefully to lead them back to the values that were already sown into them. because you've already got foundation stones that's still there. They might be ignoring them, rejecting them, run away from them, saying they don't exist. But they do exist and they are in their life and you can lead them back. And we used to have people come to, come to our cottage and we'd have these girls come through and they actually didn't have that bad a home. They just had gotten into rebellion, got into wrong company, got into crazy stuff and they were living wild lives and they were living wild. But they had something and because of that something we were able to build on that and lead them into a place of restitution and see God. But, but see the girls who had had nothing. Oh my word. What a challenge right there. And I used to look at these girls that came from they just came from such despair and emptiness. And you would listen to their story and they all they had known is is, is abuse. And and they, their parents they generally would be just a mum, or if there was a dad around it wasn't good, and and their mum and they had to have a mum and what they had was just abuse and they had a grandmother and the grandmother, yeah, that was just abuse too. And you're looking at these people and you're wondering how you were even alive. They had had nothing. And the desperation of trying to sow something good into that person's life when nothing exists. No framework, no foundation, no, nothing to place a good stone onto. No solid ground to lay it on and say, this is what you build your life on. It's like plopping a, a valuable foundation stone into a pool, it just plops in where did it go and you put it in another one it just plops in where did it go because because nobody took any investment into them they had nothing and this was on, Onesimus this is who he was he was a man it says he was unprofitable and if you look at other translations he was useless what a what a, what a sign of a man he was useless isn't that an amazing thing to have said about you You're useless. (laughs) Completely useless. Hopeless. Of no value. A vagrant. Somebody who has caused harm and who carries no moral character. Onesimus runs away as a useless man and Paul stops, begets him, sows his life into him and places the same value on Onesimus as he does Philemon. He takes a hold of Philemon, a powerful, wealthy, influential man, and he sows his life into him. And what does he do with Onesimus? He does exactly the same. He doesn't, Paul doesn't differentiate between master and slave. He doesn't differentiate between background. He doesn't make a difference. He doesn't lift up one man over and above the other. He takes Onesimus and he says, and he puts his life into him. And now this is one of the most important things that we have to understand when we come to this place that Onesimus came to run away from his past. He came to find a solution. And he wanted to resolve the issues of his life. What were the issues? He was in trouble with a man that could probably take his life. Now the chances are Philemon may may not have been that kind of man. But possibly he would have punished him. Possibly he would have found a way of getting the value for which he was stolen from him. I mean, all of that would have been rightfully justified. But Onesimus was looking for a way out. And so he runs to Paul. And Paul takes him and begins to invest into him. And Onesimus discovers that even though he was a man of no value, God had a plan for his life nonetheless. You know, it says here in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, but you are a chosen generation. Now, I love this verse. You were a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once, everyone says once, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. See, see, we were all the same as Onesimus. We were a people... It says at the beginning, you're a chosen generation. That feels kind of special, doesn't it? I, I would get prophecies when we were... I was hungering after the things of God as a kid and, and I would get these prophecies and God has chosen you. you he's get this, well, God, He's chosen me. He chose me. Did He choose you? He chose me. <laughs> you feel special. God chose me. You're a chosen general. I, I want you to know that He chose you. Right, right in where you are, He chose you. It's so why you're here. He chose you. A royal priesthood. Oh, that's getting a bit fancy. <laughs> it's like, whoa! What do we do? Get ropes? Or you know, I, I go to Denmark a lot, and I've got a friend who's a Lutheran minister in the um, in the state church. The the Danish church, um, the the Lutheran church, is effectively a public service. It's it's provided. It exists by the taxation of the in the general. In your income tax, a portion of your tax funds the church and the church provides for you a public service. Marriages, burials, dedications, all that kind of stuff. It, uh, it provides a service and you can imagine in that environment it's quite diff- difficult to actually be a Christian. to <laughs> stand up to certain values because you answer to the state as much as you do the church. And uh, But they have these really funny... Um, you know, like Church of England dog collar, Church, you've got the collar and the sort of black robes, but they don't. They have like a big frilly cake thing that comes all the way around and they look like women. And they just look, or either that, they look like they've been beheaded and their head is sitting on a funny plate. And they wear these things and they worry. it's like you look at it and go, ooh. Anyway, we're a royal priesthood, <laughs> a holy nation, and God's own special people. That's you. Now, who are these amazing people? Well, I tell you who you are. You people who weren't a people. You were nobodies. And now you're somebody. The power and authority that exists in the church exists because God took a hold of a nobody and He made you somebody. That there were seven sons of Siva. How many of you know the story of the seven sons of Siva? The seven sons of Siva were sons of a Jewish priest who didn't believe in Jesus, who didn't believe in God, but they saw that Paul had a ministry of casting out demons and they fancied, the, they fancied that they would be demon caster outers as well. Mm-hmm. So they decide that they're going to go out and they're going to cast out demons and they come, they come to this man and they see he's got a demon and he's living a pretty outrageous life and they decide to cast out the demon in this man, and the demon manifests and says, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who are you? They knew of Paul, but they didn't know of the seven sons and the man beat them up, tore all their clothes off, and they ran out into the street, stark naked with blood running everywhere, and everyone began to grow afraid, because suddenly they began to realize that that Paul was ministering in power that nobody else had. But Paul was a nobody who became a somebody. In fact, he was a murderer who became a lifesaver. And we've got to understand that, that, that David, who had the very heart of God, was an adulterous murderer who had the heart of God. And Moses, yeah, he was a murderer too. There's quite a few murderers who make it into the kingdom of God. (laughs) It's a bit of a theme. It's a bit worrying, actually. Oh Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not a a sign. (laughs) If there's anyone here with psychotic tendencies, it's not a sign. (laughs) You don't have to, yeah. (laughs) You don't have to kill anyone to get God's attention. But you, we are nobodies, and God, (laughs) getting himself into trouble right here. We are nobodies, but God has made us a somebody. We came from a nothing place, and God made us someone special. I remember being at school, 15 years of age, I was in my, the last year of senior school, and I remember sitting in a classroom, social studies, it was one of those subjects that you never took any notes of because it was just plain stupid. It was one of those subjects where they just put everything together and they th- they're going to tell you everything about life and they'll even give, make you do an exam and you're like, the teacher would, t- have you done your homework? No, of course not. It's just stupid. And, uh, and they were having this discussion and anyway, it got around that I went to church as a kid, right? God spoke to me as a kid, but I, I wasn't telling anyone at school. <laughs> no way was I ever admitting that I went to church. And uh, so I, I'm in school and this is what they said. This is what they heard that I was going to church. And this is what they said. Everyone in classroom, Upton, in church, not a chance. My head hung. The shame <laughs> of who I was because I had a reputation <laughs> that didn't fit in church world. It wasn't my... I had a church reputation. I was a good boy. And I had a school reputation. And I wasn't a good boy. I was somebody else. And God took that somebody else and He he made me a somebody in the kingdom of God. He gave me power. He gave me authority. He gave me authority to cast out strongholds on people's lives. The very strongholds that began to influence my life I have power to cast out of other people's. Isn't that amazing? You see, Onesimus came as a nobody and God made him a somebody. You know, see, Paul begat him. It says in 1 Corinthians 4.15, it says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the Gospel. Therefore I urge you, Imitate me. You see, the power of the kingdom of God. I speak about. We speak about fatherhood a lot because the church is about fathers. It's about having fatherhood. It's about God raising up a spirit of fathering. And I've had many people who've come to me. Many, some people are old enough to be my father themselves, and say, "You've been a father to me." Well, what does that mean? It simply means that I have invested into their life like they were a son and put my life into theirs that they have something to imitate. Fathering, Fathering is, is is basically doing the things that your kids can imitate. And we have to set up a generation of fathers and set up a generation of, of, of mums and dads who can give their children something to copy, something, something to aspire to, something to believe in. And Paul... He, he, he ministers into Onesimus' life and he gives him something to follow. But Onesimus, he comes to Christ, he gets saved and he starts serving Paul but now he's getting to the point in discipleship where he's now coming to the point where he has to face his past. And this is the power of the gospel that the gospel, until you can face your past, you're never free of it. Until you can face it, you're never free of it. If you're running away from it, it still has a hold on you. If you don't want to speak about it, it still has an influence on you. If you can't deal with it, it can still deal with you. And that that is the power of the past. But Paul is leading Onesimus into a place of freedom. He came as a slave and now he's going back as an equal. What what a powerful transfer of rights right there. He ran away as a vagrant slave owing a wealthy man money and he goes back as an equal, free, liberated and empowered as a brother. And what happens is that Paul says, now Onesimus, it's time for you to go back. It's time for you to face the man of whom that you wronged. But you're not going back as you were. You see, we run away from our past because we've only got our past as a as a track record of our future. Does that make sense to you? We run away from our past and try to run away because we're trying to change our future. We're trying to change and sometimes we see the mistakes of our past and we go, I don't want to live like that anymore. So I run away, so I'm trying to change the direction of our future. But to be free of your past is to be able to look at it and say, you no longer have control over me. Yeah. It's, to know, it's to look at it and to say, I am now a different person. Onesimus couldn't face his past as a slave, because as a slave, it controlled him. But he faces his past not as a slave, but as an heir of the kingdom of God and as a brother to the man upon whom he had wronged. Does that make sense to you? He's able to deal with it. And see, the kingdom of God is about placing us into a place of liberty. We must resolve what constrained us if we're going to be free. We must resolve what constrained us if we're going to be free. One of the things with the rehab that we found was that many girls who come into the rehab... And in the rehab, you can't smoke, you can't do drugs, everything taken away, the simplicity of life, it's a very simple life, everything's taken away, you come in and the girls would come in and they were just intense from living on the streets and, and just all of that, they were just broken people and didn't, didn't know how to function in normal life and they were they were just broken people and they would come in and then slowly but surely health would return to them they'd start putting on a bit of weight and, and life would come into their eyes and they would start relaxing and enjoying life and, and coming to church and, and, and you know some, some of it, for some of them church was a, a massive shock to the system, but they, they kind of got used to the, the acceptance and the place that the fact that people would treat them with, with love and care and they weren't being abused or taken advantage of, and it took this adjustment. And they began to think, Whoa, I'm free. But actually, they weren't free. They just weren't in the environment where their captivity controlled them, but put them back there, and they would have been back under it immediately. So they felt free, but they weren't free. Why? Because they had yet to face their past. So they just, what their past, there was a gap, and that gap enabled them to get strong. And that's important. You have to, you have to create a space between what caused you a problem to where you're going to be to get the strength to come back and deal with that thing once and for all so it no longer has an echo and a, and a, and a voice into your future. Because until you deal with your past, it always has a voice into your future. It has a threat. It threatens the life that you want to live. It's like, a, it's like something which keeps speaking. And what happens is Onesimus, Paul takes Onesimus and he says, I've liberated you. I've set you free. You are now the most useful person that I have. You're, you're like a brother to me. In fact, you are my heart. What a... What a conversion. A useless man is so effective that Paul says, This man is my heart. This is what he doesn't say is what I do. There's a, there's a transfer of presence, of anointing. Paul's ministry and anointing has come onto this man. And what happens is that Paul sends him back and it and it says here. In verse 12, it says, I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. You see, Onesimus climbed a mountain that many people struggle to climb. He He discovered through repentance, you see, whatever mistake we've made repentance will lead us into a place of victory over it we have to understand that we've got to come back to that place we can run away from it but Paul is going okay you were wrong now I'm going to send you back victorious over it because you accepted and repented of your past You decided at that moment your past is no longer going to be your future. Your mistakes aren't going to live with you. You're not going to pretend they weren't there. You're not going to run away from them. You're going to say right here and now, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm going to live a free life. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to live after you. I'm going to chase after you. And what happens is this. Onesimus gets a name change. Onesimus means this. Useful. That was not his name. We don't know what his name was, but Paul changed him. He changed his name to the most powerful word because he was known as useless. Whatever it was, that slave, that useless slave, that awful vagrant that stole and ran away, the runaway, the one you can't trust, Paul gives him the most powerful name he can give, a useful man, a man who has dependability. A man upon whom I can trust. And he had a name change. And I want to tell you this the Bible says in in Revelation that Jesus Christ has given all of us a new name, a name that describes who we are in his kingdom. That he's given us a name that defines us. How many of you know this? How many of you know that you have a past that isn't necessarily one that you would want to advertise in church? And there are people who know you according to that past and don't know you according to the now. They're not the people you enjoy meeting, are they? Because they always want to remind you of who you were. You know, I, I have a past um, that isn't... There are parts of my past that were... I was following after Christ, but I wasn't in leadership or ministry... And so I was, because I wasn't in Leeds, I was just me without responsibility. Can you imagine that? No responsibility, I can do anything I like. The high eye personality, woo, let's party. <laughs> and there are people who knew me then. And now when I meet them, they're like, oh, Kev. <laughs> they're looking for the, come on, Kev, let's party. And I'm like, yeah, I don't quite go to that extreme anymore. That isn't me, and I don't want you to meet any of my church people. (laughs) You will ruin my church. (laughs) I never forget the day. In fact,. Paul was in church I had a a good friend who was in ministry and he we were mates together before we were in ministry and then we ended up pastoring together he was pastoring the Eastbourne church of INC was COC now INC he was pastoring that church and I'm up here just pastoring and he comes up and he's teaching in our church for a weekend and then he just gets relaxed and he starts telling the stories of what we used to be (laughs) like and some of the things that all these people go Jonathan started telling us about the things he used to do. <laughs> He's never ever coming back. <laughs> and no one from my past is ever coming back. And They don't, they don't need to know of the, of, the, of the boundaries we used to cross. <laughs> but you know, you see, your name to different people means different things according to how you were when you were with them. But you have a name in Christ that is not defined by any of your humanity or any of your mistakes or any of your silliness or any of your regrets or any of those things. You have a name that is unique and special in Christ and it's pure and it means something beautiful that defines you as an individual unique and special in His kingdom. You have a name which defines you as a person, as a personality, as a person in your beauty, as a person in your strength, as a person in your purity, as a person in your perfection, as a person who is only seen according to who you are in Christ and not according to who you were in the world. You've got a name, a new name. Onesimus got a new name. He was a man that came, went from the useless, the nobody, to a person that didn't just return as a handy, useful slave. He returned as an equal, as a brother. And in fact, he's mentioned in Colossians as one who's travelling with the other ministers. And he's also... Um, he's also thought as one that ended up leading the church in, a, a, in Ephesus. Um, he went back, having been fathered by probably the greatest apostle the church has ever known, to become an apostle over cities. Because why? How did he become that? Well, because he had a spiritual dad who ignored what his natural world was and made him a spiritual man and that is what the kingdom of God that's what the church is about we ignore people's natural world and their natural experiences we just don't care we don't care what happened now we care about your heart but we don't care about your reputation we don't care about your mistakes We don't care about your failures. It is of no consequence or importance to me or to us or to Jesus Christ. What is important is that we can sow into your life the supernatural call of God that you might walk a life that is according to the call and the destiny of who you are in Christ and not according to what everybody else says about you. It doesn't matter if the whole world has a different opinion of who you are It matters that Christ defines you as an amazing man or woman of Christ. You are defined by your salvation, not by your mistakes. And that is Onesimus' story. That is the story of a man, useless in the world, one of the rejects that nobody believed in, to become one of the great heroes of the New Testament church.